Welcome to School Mental Health Works, a quick dip monthly podcast presenting dialogues on school mental health in Wisconsin. Our mission is to share the successes and challenges experienced by a range of partners in Wisconsin as communities continue to collaborate and show that school mental health works. This series is a product of the Coalition for Expanding School-Based Mental Health in Wisconsin, a statewide coalition with a mission to advance and support expanded, comprehensive, and integrated mental health services within the school setting through school, home, and community partnerships. My name is Greta Blancarte, and I'm the school wellness coordinator and school social worker with the Ashland School District. My name is Joanne Greenlee. I am the mental health navigator for the school district of Marshfield. Uh, We're so happy to be here. Um, We're talking a little bit about um, pathways um, and referral pathways. And I was interested, Greta, in how did your district get started with mental health and when did you become involved? Well, uh, the school district of Ashland was one of the first Project AWARE cohorts. Um, And so I came into that project in year three in the 2016-2017 school year when our team uh, had decided that they needed some type of referral pathway and that pathway needed to have a person at the end. So taking information from any concerned folks in our community about student mental health and finding the right referral and the right resources to connect that student and that family with. Um, They really weren't sure what they wanted that to look like, um, but they really wanted to find a person to develop the program. So um, that was my my job coming in um, as a a wellness coordinator. Uh, We played around with the name for a while, but basically as a mental health navigator to coordinate the different pieces of our mental health program in our school district. Um, we had been been working with a few clinics that had providers that were coming into our schools, um, but there wasn't any central coordinating system. It was just if a, a provider had a relationship with maybe a school counselor and they kind of figured it out if they had you know, either a client at the clinic who was having some barriers and um, or a, a student at school who um, was experiencing barriers of getting connected to mental health. They were all kind of in a piecemeal patchwork sort of system. So um, as part of the AWARE grant work, we really wanted to centrally locate within, you know, a person um, and a program on how all of those different resources, the referral health pathway, all the the warm handoffs, um, kind of a central person for both students, families, and for community providers that they could call and coordinate scheduling and resources and availability. So um, that's how we started the development um, of our program. Ours started just a little bit different. Um, In 2018-19 school year, um, our director of student services wrote a little grant to get some help in developing referral pathways and figuring out what to do. We had a similar situation, Greta, in that We had some space MOUs with some different therapists in town and they'd come in sort of as they wanted to, but no central coordination of that at all. And so we did get a consultant to help us do some planning um, and to develop a school-based mental health consortia and to develop their referral pathway. Um, That also helped us write a DPI grant, a DPI mental health grant 
that then funded my job as the mental health navigator. I had been working with the district as a school social worker. Um, and so, uh, and I also happened to be a, a licensed clinician and I have my LCSW. So it made a lot of sense for me to become the navigator in working with this. Um, I had also been working with the team to sort of develop a plan um, for bringing mental health services more into our school buildings in a much more, much more systematic way. So that's sort of how we um, began doing it. Great. And you mentioned mental health navigation. Uh, Joanne, you're one of the co-facilitators co of the Navigators Community of Practice through the Coalition for Expanding School-Based Mental Health. Um, what are some of the differences you've seen in how your district and other school districts are using that role of a mental health navigator? Yeah, I've talked to a lot of the mental health navigators around the state during this community of practice um, meeting that we have monthly. And I recognize really that navigators role, although have a lot of similarities, there's a lot of differences as well. Um, it depends a lot on the district's referral pathway and, um, and it depends on the navigator's other duties. Um, you know, I have the luxury of being the mental health navigator. I have uh, many other roles, but not direct student contact roles. Um, so I can concentrate on that. Um, we really focus on, our pathways is focused on relationships. So our school counselors do a lot of the beginning legwork when there's mental health um, issues for a student. They um, talk to families, they talk to students about mental health services before I'm ever involved with it. I end up doing the secondary part, which is making sure the program is running, but they do most of the family and student contact. Whereas several navigators, um, they just get their referral and they do all of the beginning legwork um, in terms of reaching out to the family and setting up services. So ours works just a little bit differently because of that. We also have developed a pathway that looks at what all of our school options are, in-school options with our school staff, what are our community options, and then finally, of course, what are our consortia options in terms of setting students up with uh, therapists inside of our buildings. So my role ends up being the big picture coordinator instead of the small things, although I do coordinate all of our um, funding and sponsorship money uh, for when we have barriers to service, um, financial barriers to service. And I will do any running around case management if papers need to get signed, if somebody needs to get to an appointment, um, all of those kinds of things once they're going in the consortia. How, how, what is your role um, as a navigator and that you do multiple roles in your building? Yeah, I think it it is a little bit similar to how you were were describing yours, Joanne. Um, initially, it was more of that kind of one person show, um, where when referrals were coming in, we have a web based referral pathway, um, so those referrals can come from staff, come from outside community partners, from parents, from students for each other or for themselves, um, and those would kind of land with me, and then I'd reach out to all the partners and all the different players, and, and ultimately the family and the student, uh, and figure out what resources we had. But it's sort of over, you know, the last six, seven years, it's sort of shifted and changed a little bit organically, so that it's um, a little bit more of a team approach, like you were talking about. So um, very often, those early conversations about 
mental health are starting with counselors or teachers, those those people that have day-to-day contact with the student and the family. Um, and and that works in a lot of ways because they're having those conversations with people that are the most um, comfortable and knowledgeable about the students. We found that that's really beneficial for families. It can be comforting for them to know that everyone is in their, their child's corner behind getting this extra support um, and that that the whole team is understanding around those and flexible around the needs. And it is really normalizing for students and families to have that team approach, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, every once in a while, there's still a, you know, a, a referral that comes to me through, through the channel that hasn't gone through this team approach. And then it is a, a little bit of a, um, you know, start to finish on, on, in my role. Uh, and both of those ways work. So we, we kind of, flex and take it <laughs> as each individual case comes. Um, so that's been a really nice way of being able to have multiple pathways to get a student and a family connected with resources. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. We did uh, something that I think was the most helpful for us for our referral pathway was we instituted what we call student services teams in all of our buildings. Um, this happened when we gained some additional social work time. <laughs> so it, it then made sense to do this because we needed to partner a little bit better with all of our student services support te- um, team. We have uh, weekly meetings with the principal, social workers, school counselors, and school psychs, like all at one time. It's usually an hour meeting once a week. And during that meeting, we talk a lot about... Uh, mental health and behavior issues for students, who's struggling, who's seeing who, what services are we providing to various students, what groups are the counselors running or not running, um, what behavior or disciplinary issues have come up um, within a building. So then we can all together look at what are the services that we can provide and how can we support a student, whether that is okay, our PBIS program can help with this situation um, and and this particular student, so something more universal, or we need to do a check-in, so something more targeted um, with the student, Um, or as I said, you know, some more um, formal things like a group or um, additional lessons with a school counselor or whatever those needs are. And there's a variety of things that each building can pick from in terms of how they're supporting a student with lots of people outside of even the student services team. Sometimes it's a mentorship with a a staff person that's not on the student services team as well. And then um, from that student services team meeting is where the referrals for additional mental health come from. Um, But that's a weekly occurrence. So we try to stay on top of things. And then if the team makes a decision that we need services in our buildings, mental health services, then um, we assign a a person that's a point of contact, usually the school counselor who knows the family. And then they contact the family and talk through the process and find out what the family wants. Um, Obviously, things happen differently than that, too, because sometimes families will call us and then that goes to the student services team. And we say, okay, the family called and this is what they're interested in or you know, at the high school, students come into the counseling office all the time and, and ask for help. So then again, that's brought to the student services team and we discuss sort of how we can meet those needs. I will say that is the, the way that it usually happens. 
because things aren't always perfect, there's many times that a need happens way faster than the student services team meeting. So if we meet on a Tuesday in a student services team and a kid comes on Wednesday, it's not like we won't do anything until the next Tuesday as well. We um, Part of our referral pathway is that we want to do some sort of consultation re- regarding mental health. And if it's not at the student services team, we ask that counselors talk to a social worker, the principal, another counselor to sort of talk through, have we done what we need to do so that we're always doing things collaboratively um, and that works well for us. So, so Greta, can you tell me what's gone well for you in creating your referral pathway and what recommendations you would have for a district? Um, well, I, I think that that comprehensive approach that you're talking about and the flexibility of being a bit more nimble as well um, is really, really important. And um, I also want to stress the importance of really coordinating and collaborating with the community partners. Um, that was one one thing um, that I think was really beneficial early on in our um pathway development. I came from the outside mental health community before I came to education. So I had a lot of those pre-existing relationships. And so it was was easy for me early on to really reach out and see what they needed as far as, you know, referrals, either going to outpatient clinic or of our providers that were coming in here into the schools, um, really finding out what those little barriers are all along the way that a family might bump into, um, being able to have that experience of, of you know, kind of talking a family through exactly what to expect at each part um, so that there really were no surprises. Um, if there was a, a really large paperwork packet that they should be planning on getting in the mail or being handed when they walk into a clinic, it was really helpful to talk through some of those things, um, some of those insurance barriers or, you know, how long something might take. What what am I going to be asked when I get to this intake appointment? Um, Really having knowledge about those, all of those pieces from the community partners so that you can with, you know, really openly walk a family through that might be a little nervous or uncomfortable or scared about this whole procedure um, and process so that they know what to expect at every step. Uh, I think that has been really beneficial to our process. And then being able to share that out so that um, if it's someone other than myself who is walking a family or a student through this process, they have that knowledge um, as well. So the whole team can be have a really um, a full wraparound um perspective for all the warm handoffs that need to happen. How about for you, Joanne? Yeah, that sounds great. Well, you know, really thinking about when somebody's starting this process, um, it, which is asking for help, there's a lot of models out there and a lot of ways that people do um, referral pathways and, and run different things for, uh, you know, providing mental health for students and asking for some help. DPI has, DPI has great information as well. Um, And I think probably one of the things that was key for us is recognizing what we were already doing well. And, you know, because without having a formal referral pathway, most schools have a referral pathway, uh, you know, a way that things happen. So recognizing what are you already doing well? And so, you know, for us, the school counselors were doing a big portion of the job. They were already well involved with students and had those relationships. That made a lot of sense for us to continue that. 
Um, but we realized we also had some gaps in services. So working together, we could say, okay, where are we missing out? What are some things that we're not doing? And when we were earlier in the process, we recognized that we had not articulated very well what all the possibilities are for a student, what all the services could be. And doing that was really helpful. And then to say, what else do we need? We have used some of our uh, getting kids ahead money and mental health funds to do co-facilitated psychoeducational groups with school counselors and mental health providers in order to um, build skills. So they're, they're clearly psychoeducational, not therapy groups, but they're about building coping skills, building relationship skills, you know, following much of the curriculum that we already use, which is sort of a DBT model, um, dialectical behavioral therapy kind of in schools model. And so building some of those schools skills has been really helpful because then we can grab some students who are either on the waiting list, who aren't ready for therapy or who need, um, who are in therapy, but in therapy, they're doing a lot of trauma reprocessing and they still need skill building. So then we can grab some of those, but we would not have necessarily decided to do that if we hadn't looked at where do we have gaps in service? Um, because it, everything doesn't have to be, they get nothing or they're in therapy. Sometimes there's that, that in-between piece that's, that's helpful. Another really good example of that is we have um, a growing Spanish-speaking population in Marshfield. It used to be the numbers were negligible. We did programming, but not uh, heavy programming for those. Now we have many students who come to us only Spanish-speaking. And I was getting a good number of referrals, mental health referrals for those Spanish-speaking individuals and then having to figure that out because we don't have a Spanish-speaking therapist in town. Um, and so all of that has to go through some translation services or interpreters. But looking at the referrals, we saw a lot of these issues that are being labeled as mental health issues are adjustment issues and coming to the country, newly coming to the country and feeling isolated. And so we created with um, UW Extension 4-H service a, a Spanish-speaking social or uh, psychoeducational group for them that works on transition and works on adjustment and coping and works on sort of future planning. Um, so there's a, an academic and future academic piece in there as well. And that was hugely successful um, but it helped relieve some capacity issues having to do with mental health services or mental health therapy services because it was hard to serve those kids, but we developed something totally different for them. So I loved what you said, Greta, about being flexible in your planning and nimble because all the time you're coming up, you have an idea of what your pathway is, but different needs come up, different ideas come up, you find different gaps in services, and then being able to address those in some sort of way, I think is, is an important thing to be able to do. And as you said, working as a team to be able to do that is super important because if I had to come up with all the ideas myself as a mental health navigator, it would be very limited. Um, but working with all the teams in all the buildings who are on the ground and doing things or have a different perspective than I do. Principals have a very different perspective than I do um, about what services are needed. And so 
working as a team is really helpful in, in developing um, some of the different services that could be available on your pathway. That's great. It sounds like you guys have been really creative about meeting some of these needs. Um, are there any other barriers or challenges that you've experienced and do you have any suggestions for overcoming any of those? Yeah, I think I think the barrier that I've heard from many navigators and many school districts comes down to capacity and resources. You know, we only have so many therapists in our community that can come do school-based services and they have all their own rules and um, procedures that sometimes get in the way as well as just they only have so much time and long waiting lists themselves. So we have found that that when we get more therapist time, we fill it pretty quickly. Um, so we know that the need is out there. So capacity is always an issue. In terms of resources, oh, it's always a struggle to find resources for families, whether that's outpatient or funding. Um, I was able to write a grant through our Marshall Area United Way to get some money for what we call a sponsorship. So if a family has financial needs, then we can provide some money and have an application for that. It's sort of interesting how that works because it's not the super low income families. They're on Badger Care and um, their mental health treatment can be taken care of. It is um, families that are working and uh, living paycheck to paycheck or, or close to the edge, but don't qualify for many services and have very high deductibles for mental health services. Um, we are funding some kids for mental health for that and finding ways to overcome some of those barriers. Um, you know, that is absolutely the challenge. Of course, the other barrier that we come across is there's still a lot of stigma related to mental health. I liked what you said earlier about normalizing mental health treatment and normalizing getting help um, when you need it is really important because there's still some resistance. Um, and whether that comes across as, oh, I don't think that this is going to work or um, out, outward resistance, sometimes that's it. Or sometimes it just comes across as um, no, no follow through. Um, it's not very important for some families, even if it's important for the student. And so finding ways to partner with parents, that's always a challenge. And, and keeping parents involved is, is always a challenge um, for us. What about you, Greta? What barriers and challenges have you come across? Um, I definitely agree with all the ones that you brought up with, um, especially in these post-COVID years, resources have been more and more scarce here in our our region and um, demand has been higher. We Prior to COVID, we had about eight different agencies that were having providers come into our school um, and we were down to two. Um, and it, this year is better than the last two years, I must say. So um, I, I'm finding a few more uh, availabilities to connect students and families. But um, yeah, there was definitely some pretty dry years in there as far as capacity for our uh, provider community. We lost a lot of providers in this area, either to just telehealth or, um, and not every student and family feels comfortable with, with the telehealth model. Um, and we, there were just some that left, um, you know, left the area. So uh, it's definitely been been challenging. Um, and, you know, in the, the past, I've found that 
sometimes just striking when the iron is hot was really, really helpful for making those connections when whatever happened that the student was was interested and the family was interested. And if you could, you know, make that intake appointment that day and, you know, get them connected and, um, you know, set up resources for transportation and, and everything was moving while everyone was ready, then the follow through was was a much higher. Um, and now when there's, well, we need to wait and, and maybe, a number of things happen in the meantime before you can can find um, a resource that's going to work for the family. The follow through has been has been a lot more spotty in times, and I definitely understand that people have gotten uh, well that I'm never going to find a resource, so I'm just plodding through best I can, or um, you know, kind of that giving up on I, this is just never going to work. Um, and I, it's been heartbreaking watching some families struggle through that and some kids that are really, really having a hard time and, and just cannot find resources. I remember talking to a mom last year who said, you know, I, I always kind of look down on, on families that, you know, just weren't getting help for their kid when they clearly needed it. And she said, and all of a sudden my child is needing this. And I've called seven places today and like most of them won't even take a wait list because they're so overloaded. And I just, I don't know what else to do. And I see how hard this is for, for families. And um, it was a really kind of eye-opening thing for people in our community who were perhaps reaching out for the first time for services um, one good thing about COVID, I think, is it did normalize reaching out behaviors for, you know, getting mental health supports in a lot of ways because so many more people were struggling. Um, but then at the same time, that creates a capacity issue. But um, but I do think that helped with some stigma, um, some stigma busting. Um, another barrier is just um, it kind of has always been those families that maybe have had a negative experience in the past with a mental health service um, or just some distrust. Um, you know, my district incorporates a tribal community where there is uh, understandably a lot of, of mistrust of both the school system and the mental health system. And there's a lot of generational trauma around institutions like that. And um really finding the right person to reach out with the right resource in the right way um, to make that accessible for families that that have had some negative experiences um, and just really being patient. You know, there are times when when I've maybe talked to a family two, three, four, ten times before I even bring up the idea of mental health services because you just need that relationship building piece before um, – before you start bringing up resources that they might be be a little wary about or uncomfortable with, um, and so yeah, that I can't can't speak highly enough about that relationship building piece throughout this entire process. Yeah, I would totally agree. And you you talked about sort of two things: either families having to wait or being resistant, and that sort of leads us back to this idea of other than therapy, what are some of the other services and supports we can offer? And there's always a challenge having to do with school district's capacities in terms of um, seeing kids and, and doing more individual check-ins and, and all of those kinds of things, because we also have a limited capacity in, in what all we can do. So trying to fill those gaps um, can sometimes be challenging. Um, it's a conversation we have in our student services teams all of the time, you know, which is, you know, 
how do we balance all of the different things that, that we have to do and, and who has time to do it, who has the relationship to do it. All of those different things um, can be quite a challenge for, for any school district um, with what I think are growing needs. Um, we have more referrals this year than we've ever had. And um, we're, we're seeing some more students because we have some increased capacity, but um, it is only the end of, you know, the beginning of the year, the end of the first quarter. And uh, we have kids on a waiting list already um, just for our services. So it is really difficult. And, and then that capacity of trying to figure out what to do next. So always lots of challenges. Um, it's always fun to talk about this kind of stuff and to, to bounce ideas back and forth. And so um, it has been really great talking with you, Grena. Same. Yeah. I love hearing about all the creative ways that your district and other districts you've, you've spoken with um, have found to just really dig in and get creative and manage those internal and external resources in ways that work for kids and families. Okay. So until next time, keep working at School Mental Health because School Mental Health works. Looking forward to future episodes? Make sure to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a rating so that others invested in better mental health for Wisconsin students can find us. We welcome your questions. You can reach us and find resources and learn more by checking out today's show notes and by visiting the coalition's website at schoolmentalhealthwisconsin.org. Until next time.